I think it's really important to have the premise of your book distilled down into a very succinct sentence or two. Hi, everyone. This is Ben Guest, and today's conversation is with Jen Winston, author of Greedy, Notes from a Bisexual Who Wants Too Much. Jen is also the creative director of social media at Lyft. And in this conversation, we had, we do a deep dive into all things book marketing and how to best use social media and the different social media platforms to market your book. Enjoy. Jen, thank you so much for coming on. Yay, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So the big overview question, what are the, the fundamentals of good marketing for a book? Ooh, I'm glad you asked that. Well, I'm going to tell you what my day job is because this is a very unique time when I am not going to get in trouble for it because I like have given my two weeks and I'm between jobs. So currently I work at Meta during the day as a creative director, an associate creative director, focusing on things related to the Meta. I just gave my two weeks and in May, I will be joining Lyft as their creative director of social media. So I've been focused in the creative and marketing world for quite some time. I'm normally not allowed to talk about that when I'm also like technically, quote, promoting my book. But what are they going to do? Fire me? They can't because I'm leaving. <laughs> so it's a very exciting time to be able to say that on a podcast. But I think what makes good book marketing and what makes good marketing in general is marketing that takes on the position of the person who's seeing the marketing and asks what could this mean to people? And with book marketing, you want to make sure that people, that you don't assume people already know everything about your book or anything about your book for that matter. I think it's really important to have the premise of your book distilled down into a very succinct sentence or two. And marketing can also shape the core idea of your book. And in my case, that's really what happened. I thought about bisexuality. I had recently come out and I was still kind of ashamed of it. I felt like it was this binary identity that I didn't really support. Like I, I was starting to learn more about gender and I was like, there are lots of genders. This feels like a very, an identity that supports like men and women. And I don't really like that, but I've always identified with this word. And then I started reading about bi theory, bisexual theory. And I learned that bisexuality actually challenges all these types of binaries, including gender. It just requires a bit of a, a reframing of the way we think about it. And so I wanted to make sure that I, I was like, that's what I want to write a book about now that I really believe in bisexuality, because it's been something that's been true for me for so long that I've been ashamed of essentially. And I was able to kind of suss that out with the target audience and be like, if I'm a bisexual who has never seen a piece of content like this, there are probably other bisexuals who have never seen a piece of content like this. And I looked on TikTok and there were 10 million uses of the, the hashtag bisexual. And so I was like, okay, that's an audience that I should speak to. Like those people need to be seen and they need art created for them. And that's why I, I wanted to make sure I put the word bisexual in the title. And I talked a lot throughout the process about like, how are we going to reach that audience? And it was always confusing because we were like, do we want to like put it in this books for women section, which is like a lot of times books for straight 
white women typically. And then we could also put it in the LGBTQ section where like people might not, not see it. And I was really torn on that because I really, like, I think it speaks to a lot of the challenges the bisexual community faces. It's like, are we gay or are we straight? And the reality is that like, we are bisexual. (laughs) We are none of the above and all of the above at the same time. And so it was really challenging to kind of create something that spoke to that audience and like found them where they were. One thing that I also learned throughout the process is that the cover has so much to do with how the book is finds its audience because whether we realize it or not books and like brands everything it signals to us based on design and in the literary world there are certain books that we can see are going to be like whether it will be a self-help book we can see whether something will likely be a memoir that's why they wanted my publisher wanted my book to be a paperback book because if it were a hardcover it would be less clear that it was a memoir they're Hmm, interesting yeah, it's it's just like, they were like, we always publish our essay collections in this size and people like it because they can throw it in their bag. And as much as that frustrated me, they were right and they are right. And there are all those types of signifiers that like let you know whether a book will be literary or practical or nonfiction or fiction. And th- those things as consumers, we kind of code them and register them. And I wanted... I I knew that my publisher wasn't going to market my book as a literary book. And I know that it's a long pretentious cycle to get marketed as a literary book. You have to kind of have an MFA and you have to have a, no offense to people getting their MFAs, Ben. And you have to have, yeah, (laughs) you have to have a lot of degrees and you have to have published in the New Yorker and the New York Times and you got to have all the bylines. And I didn't have any of that because I've had to work a full-time job and I could never afford to pay for an MFA program. And I still wanted people to recognize that my book was quality writing and that it contained valuable information and also that it experimented with form a little bit because a lot of the essays in my book do experiment with form. Like one is a, written as like a doctor's diagnosis or like a, a clinical study. Another is written as like a screenplay. Another is an email exchange. And then the whole thing is sort of a blend of social theory and memoir. And I, I was really striving for that. And I wanted to give it this sort of highbrow approach. And so my publisher had designed some covers that when they sent me the covers, it firmly positioned it in the realm of chiclet. And I was like, oh, this answers the question of where we're going to position the book. Sorry, hit the mic. This answers the question of where they want to position the book. They want to position it toward like straight women at Target. Like that's what they want. And they, yeah, it was like, there was like, there was one cover with like cherries wearing panties or something. I still remember that from our first conversation. Oh yeah. It's so fucking stupid. (laughs) Well, I I will hand it to the designer because it's a really challenging design brief to all the earlier things I was saying. Like there, I didn't want a bisexual flag, but there's also not a lot you can do signal to this community. And so it was a huge challenge. And I knew I needed to like bring in like big guns essentially to solve that challenge and also to help position the book as a bit more literary. And so I found a designer who I loved, whose work I loved on Instagram. His name's Rodrigo Corral. He has designed, 
he just put together like a montage of all the covers he's designed. And I was like, oh my God, he designs like so many Chuck Palahniuk covers, so many, just so many bestsellers. This is how you lose her. He's so many iconic covers have come from his mind. And I DM'd him totally unsure of what would happen. And he said he would. I had to pay him, but that was the best money that I spent because it helped my book. It helped people be proud to hold my book up on Instagram and for a a physical copy of a book that is so, so important. And it's honestly important for an ebook too. I think were I doing it over again, I would want to think more about how the cover plays in an ebook environment, especially for readers that don't have that view in black and white like that's how important the cover is you want to think of it at every single phase I also didn't like love how my cover collapsed to an audiobook style it was very it was so built for the the paperback that it just didn't really play as well everywhere else and even when we tried to put a quote on the cover we like couldn't figure it out so we ended up putting it on the back but I think yeah that the cover was such a huge part of the marketing and then it just like I, I let it like inform this overarching approach and campaign and fun that we were going to have with the style. And so I worked with a friend, even though I'm a creative director, like by trade, I hired a friend of mine who's a designer to be my creative director and also like emotional support during the launch. And she created like social media templates for me so that I could just like write down, if I got like press, I could like write, put it into a social media graphic and share it. It made it much easier for me to like go from zero to a hundred. She also designed my website, which is greedy-bisexual.com, which anyone can go to and buy the book if you want. And like angel fire website feel like it feels like it's from the Mm -hmm. late nineties. And I'm really proud of the website. She, my friend did such an amazing job and there's so much nostalgia for that time period in the book that it just like feels very cohesive and yeah so that was really important and so so there yeah yeah there there, there are a couple things no it's it's all great there are a couple things i want to headline for the audience so first is one of the first steps you took was figuring out is there an audience for this content. And like you said, there was something like 10 million posts with the hashtag bisexuals. Okay. There is an audience that wants this content. Then second, you made such a great point about what is the physical touch and feel and look of the book communicate subconsciously to someone walking in the store and seeing it, or someone's just seeing it on the digital bookshelf of Amazon or Apple books. And I think you use the word code, like we subconsciously code. Okay. Oh, that book falls in this category. That book falls in this category. So having your fit that type of category memoir in this case is important, even though it's something as a reader or an audience, we might not even be aware that we're doing. And then three, the cover. Uh, and that's one of the first conversations we had as well. Your cover is kick-ass. I'll post a photo of it in the show notes. Mm-hmm. And I always tell people the three things you want to spend money on whether you're self-publishing, traditional publishing, whatever it is, good editor, good copy edit, and a cover, a great cover. Those mm-hmm. things are worth their weight in gold. And you know what else I have come around? I don't know if yeah. I felt this way at the time, but I also invested in a publicist. Mm. And that was the biggest line item I've ever paid for anything. Like I don't own a house. Like that was like a down payment on a house. It was 25 grand, 25,000 on my publicist, which I used 
used my advance for. And I had a $55,000 advance, which I recognize feels like a lot. Now that I'm doing, I was literally doing my taxes before this. Uh, it feels like I wish it had been far less than that. Obviously I could write off the publicist and stuff, but, and the cover designer, but I mean, I spent, I basically put all that money back into marketing and promoting the book. And I'm glad I had that money to do it with. I don't know how people write books for a living. Like it's impossible. And I really think that is important to acknowledge is the like ridiculous privilege that it takes to be able to do this, even in terms of privilege of time. Like I had the time to work a full-time job that like allowed me breaks and night on nights and weekends where I was able to write this book. And what still was like running over into my personal life so significantly, like, and that's a privilege. And so like, I was able to spend my whole advance because I work a full-time job, but there are many people obviously who don't. And then when you self-publish, you have to use your own money for this. So like being very conscious of that. But I think probably like when we talked last July, I was not super hype about the idea of my publicist because I was like, I don't know what she's doing, et cetera, et cetera. But I am so happy that I worked with her in the end. Um, my book got a ton of great press and I like, I definitely credit her with that. I think when you're self-publishing, it's easier to realize that if you don't pay for something, it won't happen. Or like, if you don't, if you don't pay for something or do it yourself, it won't happen. I thought that my publisher would take care of a lot of the publicity. And I've learned from talking to friends that it's very rare that a publicist, that, that a publisher will go to bat for you, like as if the book is their own child. Because like right. for, when you write a book, it's like the most important thing to you. No one cares about it as much as you, period. And in many ways, I feel like even though I was working with a publisher and I had some financial and infrastructure support from them, obviously I had distribution support from them, which was like something I could never have handled by myself. I, I was like totally unprepared for that. I do think I tackled this in a way that was similar to self-publishing challenge because I I was like, I want the launch to look like this. And part of that was that I felt beholden to my marketing colleagues and I wanted to show off that I could market well for myself. I also did like a custom Instagram filter and that, that was also a great use of money, but you have to talk, be very talk about the custom Instagram filter. Yeah. So those Instagram face filters that you can do that, like it, the ones that will like circle over your head with like, what kind of fast food mm -hmm. are you? So I did one that was called what bisexual are you or what kind of bisexual are you? And I worked with this amazing creator, amazing non-binary creator named, it was important to me to work with queer creators as much as possible. And I'm really glad I was able to do that for the most part. And the creator really like made in this filter. So it incredibly tied visually, it tied really well to my book cover. It had the same font and the same colors. And then the little logo at the bottom was the book cover itself. And so it says greedy in the book cover or in the lens title, but the actual filter says, what bisexual are you? And that was honestly some of my like mobile marketing savvy that I was able to bring in. Cause I was like, if this just says the name of my book, no one's going to want to use it. But if it says, what bisexual are you? People are going to want to use it. And then they'll also get this like subliminal marketing about my book. 
And that was like 600 bucks. Like it, that just before you even said the price point, that just seems like such a genius idea because people are plugging into actively doing something. And then of course, it's also marketing your book. I'm actually co-writing right now a, a memoir of a retired NBA player. And he played on a couple of different teams. And so I'm already envisioning we could do like, which team are you, right? And then mm-hmm. you could pick and then it's the same thing. But at but $600, wanna... well, that person should raise their rates because they're amazing. Like their work is so amazing. I highly recommend following them. And what's their name again? Their handle is non-finery. Yeah. And they have great filters on their profile as well. I think with your, with that idea of the, which uh, team are, you'd want to make sure that you, that there's some clear callback to the fact that it is a book. So that's the challenge mm-hmm. with the, with the filter, because you have to make people want to do it, but then you also have to make people know that it's a book. So in my case, I was sort of relying, my cover is a bit hard to read. Like it's the letters are kind of all over the place, which is sort of what I love about it. Cause bisexual confusion, it like plays off of that. But I, I, I was relying on the fact that people would hopefully see it again or have seen it already on Instagram because so much of my marketing was on Instagram. So I didn't expect anyone to like convert to buy my book right off of that. It was just sort of like another thing in the ecosystem. And then the other thing I did that was probably, I don't know if it was helpful. It wasn't, it was so much work. So it's really hard for me to say if the work paid off, but I sent influencer packages to almost 200 people. And I, in each of those packages, there was a book, a card that I hand wrote to each of them, a custom message. Like I, I hand wrote it about like something we'd shared via, and most of these people I hadn't met. It was just people I knew through. There was a penis lollipop that I got from a gourmet uh, place uh, called Coxicles. And my publisher did pay for those somehow. (laughs) And then there was, there was a vibrator in most of them that was donated by a vibrator company that I've like worked with in the past. And then, and they donated a bunch. And later I realized it was actually a great deal for them because they basically sent me $2,000 worth of inventory and got like so many more impressions based on it. And I did all the work. So I was like, okay, I guess that makes sense. I basically ran a full influencer marketing campaign for them for free. And then they, the packages also had and this was the worst part, but also the most impactful. I made, I handmade beaded bracelets. I handmade 200 beaded bracelets that said greedy or said bisexual or said greedy bisexual. Some people got two. I, I literally sat and watched TV for three months and handmade 200 bracelets. It was absolutely ridiculous. But it was also the thing that most shared because it was a thing, like the thing most people posted about because it was what made them realize that I was actually like had made this bespoke for them. And I think, honestly, I think some of them might've even thought that I bought them because by the end I got like really good at <laughs> making them. Uh, so the earlier ones, they like knew that I'd made them by hand, but it was so, it was so much work. And I would say about 70% of the people I sent them to probably shared it. And I'm not sure that I'm not sure that really converted to people reading it because I Mm. think on Instagram, people think that it's just an influencer book and it's being marketed by influencers. It's probably full of 
like influencer con like vapid content. So right. I didn't, I, I, I would do that a bit differently in the future, but I also, what, it gave what, me, what oh, would you do differently? Um, just not exhaust myself throughout mm. the whole process. That's the number one thing I would do differently is like prioritize my mental health. I was on a deadline because of the, because of my publisher and because it was, you know, coming out and I wrote and published the book in under a year. So I wrote the book and then I, do I dove into this marketing campaign and it was like, without a doubt, the, the hardest year of my life. Like it was so, I'm still recovering. My body is still recovering. I don't have a lot of like I'm, I'm burnt out to a point that's going to take years to recover. And hopefully I get a little bit of time off between jobs and I'm hoping that helps, but it just was incredibly exhausting. And so but it was that's a brutal schedule for a traditionally published. Yeah. I don't let, know why. Let me ask, let's go back to the publicist. What were some pieces of advice that your publicist gave you? So I don't know that my publicist actually gave me that much advice because I knew a lot because I've also worked in PR. So mm -hmm. I was like, I'm, this person works for me. I'm paying them this much money. Like they will do what I say. So I sent them a list of places I want it to be. I sent them a list of every and, and, journalist. And, and do you mean like reviews or interviews or something else? What do you mean? I sent a, what, a dream you, list of like press. Yeah. Gotcha. I wanted it to be in the New York times. I wanted mm -hmm. it to be like, I, I put Vogue, I put Buzzfeed, I put Rolling Cosmo. Stone. I didn't put Rolling Stone, but I probably should have. I, I should have. And I also tried to think through things like that. Like what are places I mentioned in the book that might be mm. interested and yeah. Okay. Wait. So let me ask a question about that. So let's say you have your top 20 places you want the book to appear and you hire a publicist. What was the hit rate. What percent of those top 20 did the book end up appearing? That's a good question. And if I were tracking that, I'd probably be better situated for them. I got a lot. I, I got the two goals that I had. I had two goals for the book. Well, I had three. One was, one was to be on the New York times bestseller list, which did not happen. And that was a very hard goal. And I was not, I had no idea if that was going to be possible and like not possible. The other was to, or the second one was to get the cover recognized by the New York Times, which happened. It was named one of the best covers of 2021, which was an amazing thing. Like, I don't think most of my fellow authors would care as much about that accolade because they normally like left it up to the designer, but I was really involved in that creative process. And so that was meaningful to me. And I, I actually was able to share like the briefing process and all the like explorations we did once that news was announced, I shared all that stuff on my Instagram and people were like, this is so cool to see inside this process. And I think everyone was shocked that I was so involved. So that was really a fun thing. And then the third one was to get it nominated for a Lambda Literary Award, which it was. And I don't have, yeah, as an author, you don't have that much control over that, but you do have control over whether it's submitted. Yeah, I would say that was the biggest asset of the publicist. So I thought my friend, Aaron Williams, who wrote the book Commute, which is an incredible graphic novel, like amazing, highly recommend it. Had, I had asked if Aaron had used a publicist 
And she said no, but she wished she had, because then maybe it would have been nominated for more awards. And I was like, oh crap, I should get a publicist. Like I talked to several authors who had not had publicists and they were like, I should have gotten one. And I didn't want to have any regrets. And so I was like, whatever, take my money. And how did you, how did you choose your publicist? I spoke to three on the phone and this was the first, Beth Parker is who I worked with and she was awesome. And she was the first one who asked me to read my manuscript. And I was like, cool. She cares about like, and she did that before she accepted. Like, I think I was like, oh, that means people are going to know what kind of thing is coming from you. And that meant a lot to me to, to be able to work with somebody who understood what they were selling. And I think that if somebody's like, yeah, I'll do it. Like, yeah, we could do that. Like they don't, if they're going to take time to look at your manuscript and like understand, even honestly, even if she didn't read it, it was a smart move. And she waited a week. <laughs> I was like, if she just didn't read it, but I can't imagine if she had asked to read it and then was like, you know what, actually, I don't want to work together. Like that would have been awful. I was like, but I was anxious. I was like, I hope she likes it. And like, that is kind of where you want to be. I think I, I wanted someone who, whose recommendations when editors at magazines saw her name in their email inbox, I wanted right. them to be like, this person has credibility. Right. And it turns out, I didn't even realize this, but it turns out she she has sort of become a marketer for all these queer books. She's doing so many queer books. And I, I also, that's another reason I gravitated to her. She like had an example in her portfolio of like a book, Tomboy Land by Melissa Faviano, who I, that book I had seen everywhere. And I like, even though I, I mentioned it to people, I don't know if you've seen it, probably mm -hmm. not, but you're not the target. And so mm -hmm. I was like, oh, this book reached its audience because I'm the target for that book. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so I was really impressed um, by that book's marketing and, and PR. And I had had that thought and I was like, you're the perfect person. So, so the, like the three big benefits of having a publicist, which of course, traditional published authors and self-published authors can en engage is the credibility of, okay, if, if she's emailing Vogue, they're going to open the email the saving time aspect of doing all this work, and then also some halo effect of submitting for literary award awards. Is that correct? Well, so I thought that would come through her. It ended up coming through my publisher. Oh, interesting. But I do think the press didn't hurt in terms of getting that to like happen, getting the award to happen. Gotcha. Like I, I gotcha. think it helps reinforce it for reviewers. I also think yeah, in my case, it was really saving time, but I, I think there's this like sense that it's not happening if no one's working on it. And I even felt like it was not happening, like press wasn't happening when there was someone who I was paying a lot of money to work on it. And I, I am just, honestly, it was a good chunk of it was peace of mind. And mm. it was worth it to me because this book was so, so important to me. And I, I had the means to be able to do it, which is like such a huge privilege, but. Okay. So you mentioned um, Instagram earlier. So let's talk Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on all each of those for book marketing and lessons learned, advice for the audience, et cetera? So journalists live on Twitter. That is a lesson that I've learned over the past few years, for better or for worse, journalists live on Twitter. So if you want a journalist to see 
your content or if you think there's something newsworthy, it's a great place to connect with them is through Twitter. It's also like, it's also a great place to like double down on like hot takes from your book. Like you see a lot of people writing like threads on Twitter, like responding to current events. You can basically write a think piece on Twitter that you've kind of already written in your book, like, and just keep repeating the information so that people like notice you and recognize you as someone who is telling that story and doing that work. That's something that I always tell people to do on social media, but I have a really hard time with is if you've said something like you don't have to only say it once, you can say it over and over again and like get your money's worth out of that thought that you had. Cause like you're a writer and that's our intellectual property and very like to be able to like bring, I could write a much better op-ed about bisexuality now that I've written a book on it, for example. And so I, I'm hoping to do that this year for by visibility day to kind of drive attention to my book again. And I can also like respond when, if something biphobic happens in the media, like I can take a stance and like explain the nuances of it on Twitter, or like I can make memes about being bisexual all year round and people will follow the content. TikTok is, I would say the most important thing about TikTok is for books is book talk. And I do think there's something very physical about book talk. So Either like, actually, I want to take that back. You can keep it, you can keep it in, but Mm, I want to take that back because the most important thing about on TikTok is, is book talk is actually like only part of the story because every book is also about something. It's not just like about books. And so you can also speak to the people who are already talking about whatever subject you are writing about. So I think a big thing is making sure that content finds its audience and that you are engaging with the people who are influencing the communities that your content speaks to. So like if it's an ebook, for example, and about basketball, I'm sure there are people, I'm very far away from this realm of TikTok personally, but I'm sure there's like a like retired NBA player niche of TikTok. That's the best thing about TikTok. So you can find the exact right person and get like engaged with their content, see what kind of content they post and try to figure out how your point of view could fit in or like see if they ever do book recommendations or if they ever share thoughts from people or like and credit the books that they get their information from. An interesting example is while I was kind of looking for this around bisexuality, I found for one, I found a a bisexual book talker who lived in London. So we sent her my book. And then I also found this very small TikTok called the Bi Pan Library. And it's just all about books that are like bisexual and pansexual. And I was like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'd love to send you my book. And I asked them and they were like, yeah, we'd love to receive it. Great. And now we're like loosely internet friends, but it only had, it didn't, it barely had like a thousand followers, but it was like absolutely worth my time to get it in front of a thousand people or even like those 10 who are actively following the page. It just, it's just very important to like engage with those communities that are already interested in what you're talking about. Yeah. So I have a question about that in terms of like, what did that outreach look like? 
But before we do that, so you mentioned Twitter, TikTok. What about Instagram? Oh, Instagram is the one I have. I thought I had already talked about it a lot. I guess on Instagram, it's a lot of, about like seeing and being seen. I think something that surprisingly, the thing that I found that performed best for sales on Instagram was sharing a photo of my book, a chapter. And I have a chapter called True Life, I Masturbate Wrong. I shared that chap, a photo of that chapter, which has like a pretty like shareable title. And my, that's like the highest my sales have ever been was the day I shared that because that post was being shared. And I also like, I included DMs I had gotten from people who were like, we masturbate the same way. Thank God. And like, like your book's so relatable, especially this chapter. It was like a funny post, but it really made its rounds. And so I think like, Actually, I think also people were like, oh, this is what the content of this book looks like. They'd only seen the cover and then just see like, that's what it looks like inside. I've been meaning to share like the table of contents because I think people are like, oh, that looks cool. Share the best quote in your book. Share the best, like the best paragraph, highlight it, like put it on a quote card, but also don't be afraid of sharing it in its context, like with other words around it and like the actual thing you want people to read underlined or something because people love to know what they're buying. And if you can show them something that like a piece that they like, they will potentially want the whole thing. Such a great quote. People love to know what they're buying. <laughs> yeah, it's very self-explanatory, but also you wouldn't expect it. Like people often think that you have to tease, but you know, if it's, there's a, a quote from David Ogilvy, who's like founded an ad agency. I love this quote. He says, advertising can sell a bad product once. And the idea is that if people find out the product is bad, they're not buying it again. And the same goes for art or books, because if it's not good, people aren't going to recommend it. And recommendation engines, recommendation engines, I say, humans talking to one another, serving as recommendation engines for your book is like the most powerful, like force that your book could have. Yeah. Positive word of mouth. Okay. Two quick questions. One, the... When you said you shared the book chapter on Instagram, does that mean you shared a photo of the first page of the chapter or you shared like the whole? Yeah, just, I shared the first page and gotcha. it has the title and the title is obviously, you know, what it is. And mm -hmm. I shared a few, like it was a carousel, an Instagram carousel post with that as the first photo and then a few DMs. And then the chapter talks about like compares my masturbation style to an undulating seal, uh, monk seal. And so I, it references a YouTube video. And so I included a snippet of the YouTube video and people really liked that. You mentioned reaching out to the TikTok person by pan TikTok, I think. And that I, I, it's such a great advice that you have to find that niche audience that is like 100% your audience. And that's who you want to reach out to because that's, who's going to generate positive word of mouth. So what did that reach out look like from you to that TikTok person? Yeah. So it started a few months before, and I did that with so many people. Like I, I would, did this exact thing with so many people who I was like, they should read my book or like, I want them to read my book. I followed them. And then I started like engaging with their content a lot. And then I started like, like commenting on their posts and stuff and, and like making my comments like as witty as I could. And, or if not, 
like if I couldn't make them witty, I was at least like, love this. And I would share their stuff on Instagram. Sharing is especially important because it opens your DMS with someone potentially, or like it, it puts it to a direct message. So that's like an especially important way to like start a connection. And it also just shows that you support someone's work. I, yeah, I ended up at like in the few months prior when I was doing reach outs to influencers, I reached out to them and I said, hi, I love your content so much and love all your recommendations. Would it be okay if I sent you a copy of my book? If so, I have the message like almost memorized. I typed it like 300 times. If so, please let me know the best address. It'll likely ship around this time. Like I tried to give them as much information as I could. And with people who I didn't know as well, which I forget if I did this with the BiPan library, I said a few things that it was about. I was like, it's about bisexuality and contains lots of weird sex stories or something like I would give them a bit of like context and then with people who were more design minded I sent a copy I sent a photo of the cover and I was like would love if I could send you a photo or a copy of my book and I sent the book so they could see like oh this looks cool and I, I really like tailored each of those approaches and I think just a lot of it is just about putting yourself in the other person's shoes, whether that's mm. all the people you're marketing to or trying to speak to, or just the one person who you're trying to get help amplify your book and its content. Right. And was it, can I send you a free copy of my, or was it, can I send you a copy of my book? And if, if you want to please share it on social. I didn't ever, fortunately, because I like run in this influencer community the, like, I think that was implied. I think typically when you DM someone on the internet, actually it's like, and ask if you can send them something for free, it's implied that mm. there's a bit of a tax that mm -hmm. they have to share it. But I also, you just reminded me, I said, would it be okay if I sent you my book along with, which I think got people even more excited, like what are the treats? And then the treats were like amazing. Like it was a vibrator, a bookmark. Oh, I forgot the book. A coxical. Yeah, a coxicle. It was just like a fantastic gift package. And that's how I, I wanted to downplay it and then have it be like, whoa, this is great. I actually think, unfortunately, because it was in like shiny packaging, I think a bunch of them got stolen and didn't actually make it to their their rightful owners. But I hope those thieves are enjoying a coxicle somewhere. And yeah, but I do think it, 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 that, it was a lot of fun and it helped me feel a lot more connected to my online community and it helped me build a lot of lasting relationships those that outreach as Fantastic. as difficult as it was Fantastic Jen this has all been so incredibly helpful Yay. thank you for taking the time and please tell everybody where they can find you and the name of your book Yes uh, you can find me on Twitter Instagram and TikTok at generous with a J and the name of my book is Greedy Notes from a Bisexual Who Wants Too Much and you can buy it hopefully wherever books are sold, but you can also find all the links at greedy-bisexual.com. And you can also subscribe to my Substack newsletter, The Bi-Monthly. There's a link on that greedy bisexual. And at the top, Jen mentioned the website and how it's this retro design. So I was clicking around on it earlier. Encourage everybody to do so. And Jen, thank you so much. Oh, there was one other thing I wanted to say, which is greedy is nominated for a Lambda Award, Lambda Literary Award, and was named one of 2021's best LBGTQ plus um, books by BuzzFeed. So congrats on both of those things. Yes. Thank you. Very exciting. 
And Jen, thank you so much. Thank you. And that was my conversation with Jen Winston. I encourage you to buy Jen's book, Greedy, Notes from a Bisexual Who Wants Too Much. It's fantastic. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to my newsletter at benbow.substack.com where I have great information and resources about writing and publishing your book. Have a great day.